Doing something a bit different this week, as you would have realized. We're doing a bit of, bit of solos, a bit of POV. Usually got to pay for this kind of stuff, but you guys are getting it for free. Look, I, I love Breaking Bad, but oh my God, the way they used that was ridiculous. They decided that uh, Mexico was going to be this filter of high dosages of turmeric. Welcome back to Critical Banter. This is the podcast where we take the very best bits from your favorite late night shows and pack them into one single podcast. On this week's episode, as you can see, if you are on the YouTube, I am sat here alone. We have taken a new approach, a new little um, structure. And what we are doing is we have given the boys 10 minutes or more each and you have free reign to whatever you want. You're going to hear my rambling. You're going to hear Senny's rambling, Kush's, and Rohit's. 10 minutes each. God knows. You can probably tell this episode's more than 40 minutes. It's because they went off. They were having too much fun. And in their little bits, they've gone too long. So we'll see how this goes. We all have something prepared. It can be whatever. Sit back and enjoy. So I will start us off. Um, and my my little 10 minutes, what I want to talk about. <sighs> Football is gone. The game is gone. I'm going to keep this broad. So, you know, if you follow football, if you don't follow football, you kind of understand where I'm coming from. But I am talking about association football or soccer if you are from Australia or the United States. And I just have this feeling these days, you know, the younger generation, they're kind of, they're ruining the game. The game is ruined. And a prime example of this is the other day, um, other day, the other month when I went to watch Manchester United in Melbourne and I could just tell the kids here that they don't have the ball loads. They're not into the game like you know, real fans are, well, I say real fans, but this is the new generation. They're becoming the real fans. So watching the game, obviously, you know, Manchester United's in town, a lot of popular players, all of that. They were playing against Melbourne Victory. People don't really know Melbourne Victory players. But what was happening is, you know, obviously they knew the big players, you know, the Marcus Rashfords of the world, the Anthony Martial's of the world, Bruno Fernandes, they know those players. But obviously in, you know, those preseason sort of games, in the second half, they bring out, random academy players, random players just for fitness and stuff. And like, I'm, I'm a Manchester United fan, so I knew some of the players based on, you know, seeing them play before. I know they're a talent or whatever, but there were these, this row of like kids behind me. They were like, I don't know, 10, no, probably like 15 to 20 years old. You know, they're that demographic, probably high schoolers. And they were just spawn the plays and they're like, oh, I don't know who this is. I don't know who that is, blah, blah, blah. But one of them's like, oh, I know that player with the long hair. He had a 90 rated card on FIFA 15. And everyone's like, oh yeah, I know him. He's so good. I know his card. His card was so good. I know him. And I'm like, boys, like in my head, I'm like, these guys don't know ball. They've got no ball knowledge. All they're going off is FIFA. And I think that is the state we are in, in the modern day. I feel like I'm an old man yelling at a cloud. I feel like this is a old man rant. I'm really feeling my age that I'm yelling about the kids. But these days people just know. No football is based on FIFA stats. They know, you know, this player is good in FIFA 22. He must be good in real life. But, you know, it, it's a game. Players that aren't really good in real life are good in the game and people expect them to be good in real life. You know, people care about, you know, how good they perform in the game and they reflect that in real life. You know, pace, for example, if the player's quick in the game, they must be good in real life, that sort of thing. And it skews everyone's perception of football. And I just think, you know, it's... Where's the love of the game? Where's the passion? You know, people are getting into football. Maybe that's something you got to accept. You know, today's day and age, people get into football through FIFA. You know, when I was younger, I got into FIFA through football. You know, I started to become a football fan. I'm like, you know, I want more football content. So I started playing the game. 
And, you know, I learned off, oh, I've saw Cristiano Ronaldo play on the weekend. I want to use him in the game. Whereas nowadays people are like, I'm using 75 rated fucking God knows who. I'm using 79 rated LaCroix from the Bundesliga, some random player. I want to now watch him in real life. And whether that's the valid stream these days, uh, who am I to say? That could be good. It'd be good for the sport. But it's just annoying when like people just know players of FIFA and it's like FIFA's the only basis. You know, you talk about, oh, I thought this guy was good. I thought this guy was good. Just because they're like, I don't know, 82 rated with like 90 pace on the game. Doesn't necessarily mean they're good. And if their card is bad on the game, people are like, oh, they're not good in real life. But that's just not the case. And from that, I want to go off like, I'm just ranting about modern football. Social media as well is ruining the game. And obviously, you know, social media is ruining a lot of things. But in terms of the game, it's just like everyone just hops on like a bandwagon to hate players. And I think it's gone too far in terms of like, it, 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 it affects it affects modern day players now. Cause like you think about the ages of players, they're what 18 to like 30. They, they're all on social media. They must be, you know, it's stuff they've grown up with. So like everything on social media, it will get to them eventually. And a big thing for this is like Harry Maguire, for example. So Manchester United's captain, he is like a meme because like he's slow. And as I said, if you're slow on the game, you're not good in the game. So people think you're shit automatically. And then like last season, he had a lot of like, you know, blunders and he didn't play very well and he's the captain. So he's meant to be a really good player, but he was like, everyone was like shitting on him, you know, in this, like on Twitter, on all of that. And then like, so obviously that's going on social media and then like people from around the world is shitting on him, you know, behind a screen, behind like some random picture that's not themselves, some handle. So you can't tell who it is. People are big men behind the screens, but like, you know, you get to the game and then before, before the game starts, they're like reading out the lineups and stuff. They're reading players one by one, you know, number one, David De Gea, number, number two, Victor Lindelof, you know, and everyone's cheering. Cause you know, once in a lifetime experience here in Australia to watch, you know, your favorite team come from England all the way here. You know, you pay good money to go to Melbourne. First of all, you know, hotels, tickets, whatever, all of that, you know, you're here for an experience. And then when they read out Harry Maguire, the whole stadium just boos. And I'm like, this is not on like you're translating like, online hate and like stuff that is blown out of proportion because people are behind a screen and stuff. It's like actually in the stadium and it's like 87,000 or what, 100,000. I don't know how the Cassia MCG, but there's that many people booing him. And I'm like, it's, it's not that deep. All it is, he didn't play very well. You know, he didn't conduct himself in the best way in the interviews. He seemed to be cocky and arrogant, but he didn't deserve like eight, you know, upwards of a hundred thousand people booing him in a stadium of people that are meant to be his supporters. And that is something that's outrageous. And I think that's something that's really like, emanating these days where like social media is just, you know, penetrating the good values, the good values of football. It's infiltrating that a lot. And like it's happening with Ronaldo as well. You know, he's throwing, if he's throwing a fit, he's not playing, he's not coming on. He's doing all this and that. So obviously, you know, as if you're an employee at work, if you don't do your job. So in context is he was a substitute. He was on the bench for a game for Manchester United. And then the manager wanted to substitute him on, but he refused to come on. So in essence, he's not doing his job. You know, he's not coming on, he's not doing his job. He's not doing as what his contract says. So obviously the club has to take action. They disciplined him. You know, we're not, you're not going to feature in the next game, whatever. And you see on social media, everyone's like, oh, free Ronaldo. Ronaldo's bigger than the club, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's on like Ronaldo's side. And it's just like the social media aspect of football is just distorting the game. And it's just like issues when people take since real life, like for example, the, the game, Harry Maguire, for example. And these are like, what. Well, how people base their football opinions off like these people online, they're just throwing hate, like football Twitter is just throwing hate at people and like everyone's jumping on this bandwagon. It's like, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it because it gives, 
and I want to end my bit on this because he gives like a bad name to like foreign supporters. So a big thing in like football as well. So obviously you have your local team. So here in Australia, you have like the A-League. So like um, West Sydney Wanderers, Sydney FC, those sort of teams here in Sydney as well as across the country. It gives a bad name for people in... So obviously people in Australia support those teams, but there's been a big thing of like, are people that you know support a team that's not local to them, are they real supporters? So like if you live in Australia, can you really support a Liverpool or a Manchester United or those sort of teams? And they're called Euro snobs. And I think like it's valid to support others because first of all, right, if you think about it entertainment wise, they're the best leagues in the world. Obviously you want to watch the final product. You want to watch like the best version of a sport. You want to do all that. You, you don't just stick to the locally. Obviously you want to watch overseas and stuff. And obviously that call a spade a spade. It's a better quality. It's all of that, but it doesn't diminish away from like, you know, the local football. Like I can be here and support Western Sydney Wanderers where I'm from, but also support Manchester United. Like I've been supporting them since like, I was like in primary school, what was that five, 10, whatever. And then like the loyalty of like our, the fans overseas can rival that of local clubs. So when I was in England, right? If you want to watch your team, you, you it's a 3 p.m. on a Saturday, you're out with the boys or whatever, you're in the pub or you go to the game down the road. Fair, you know, local team, good, support them. But here in Australia, if you want to watch a game, you have to wake up, you know, Manchester United versus Chelsea this weekend, had to wake up at 3.30 a.m. to watch the game, right? You're doing that every week, whole season. Games are on Mondays, weeknights. They're on like Thursdays. You got to wake up for the games, all that. You got to keep up with everything. Just those sort of things. You got to like, you know, take that out of your day just to support a club. And then as well, like when they come in town, you're spending so much money to see them. You're flying to the stadium. I've been lucky enough to see them in the, in at Old Trafford for like two, three times. So like the the support of, you know, people here, match those, the locals overseas, I reckon. But like this whole social media thing of like, you see a lot like random fans across the globe that aren't really like in touch, like locals. Cause obviously the way they get in touch with the club is through social media, like Facebook, Instagram, the comments are just flooded with like random opinions and random, like, you know, free Ronaldo or like they so reactionary cause you know, social media is so visceral and reactionary. Like that just gives a bad name to like foreign supporters. So like there's a lot of local sentiment in these sort of places where like, you know, you're an overseas supporter, you're not a real supporter, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, you know, if you actually think about what overseas supporters do and how, you know, what they do for the club and like how they watch the games, all that shit, they're, they're up there. They're up there. Um, yeah, so I know I've gone on a bit of a, a rant there that's a bit close to home. Um, might have enjoyed it. If you know nothing about football, might not even be an enjoyable rant, but who knows? Uh, we'll, we'll see what the other boys have to say. I'm sure it's much more interesting, especially if you don't follow football, but we'll, we'll see what they have to say. So it is my turn for the solo part of this episode. Um, you know, when I first heard of this, I thought, what, what am I going to talk about? I have 10, 15 minutes of talking just to that camera right there. I'm looking deep into your soul right now and I am talking. Just going to talk for 10, 15 minutes. This could be either the worst, the worst 10, 15 minutes you'll ever hear or either the most mid 10, 15 minutes you'll ever hear. I just want to set the expectations. This will not be a good 10, 15 minutes. But you know, I thought about something. How do I start this off? And I want to do a little connection between me and the audience. So again, looking at you right now, who am I? So yeah, for those of you who don't know who my name is, uh, Kush. Uh, no, it wasn't one of those things where um, we're at the hospital and a family member goes, yeah, his name should be Kush. And he's smoking a little, a little bit too much. No, it was none of that. So in Hindi, apparently Kush means happy. Um, again, it's not because of happy for a drug related use. It just means to be happy. 
Um, and I think that was the sentiment, and I, I like to emanate that sentiment um, in my day-to-day life. I'm a happy person, except when uh, Sen tells me to do finish the lyric, then uh, my name is uh, I'd like to kill myself. Um, and uh, it is the, the overarching thematic concern that I want to talk about today. Not the happy part, the part that is called theme. So as you know, I like my movies, I like my TV shows. Uh, if you haven't checked out my Instagram, Cushy K, please give us a follow. Yes, I'm going to do a shameless plug right now. So I want to talk about two things today. Uh, the first thing is what, you know, the movies and TV shows are, are doing that basically aren't enough. And the second thing is what are, I guess, scenes or tropes that you see in episodes and TV shows, um, even movies that are just completely incorrect in day-to-day life. And then I'm going to spend three minutes on something a little special, a little read from my own uh, activities, some activities that I consider myself happy, consider myself cush. Um, so I was watching Heartbreak High a little bit. Now I know it's on Netflix. It's a good show, but it's worth watching. I was watching it and, you know, it's just such a diverse cast, an insanely diverse cast, you know, every culture, gender, anything you can imagine, it's all there. And I appreciate Hollywood for reaching that stage. You know, we're finally getting to a point where we can be like, yep, we have most people. That's the thing, most. So we don't talk about all because there is one frontier that Hollywood hasn't really hit or been successful in. And that's fat people. Where are the fat people in Hollywood? When are we ever going to be tackling them? And when are we ever going to see a Goodfellas with three fat people to run it. Or when are we going to see um, a Star Wars run by this fat stormtrooper? When are we ever going to see that? I want Hollywood to tackle that. This is the final frontier of diversity. And then I think we can all safely say Hollywood has reached its peak. And there's literally nowhere going down. It can only go up from there. But now I'm going to move on to my second part. I know that was a little, little tangent, but my second part is things that movies and TV shows, the, the tropes, the cliches that they do that I despise. I just want to talk about them. I mean, why do they do it? You have like a plethora of a portfolio, of a, of a genre of all these movies and TV shows, yet they still abide by these stupid rules. Here's the first one, and I think it's a good example because I think you'll get to know what I'm really trying to say here. But why do characters talk in a car, right? They're talking to another person, another actor, with their eyes that are off the road, right? Here they are, they're driving, and they're just talking. They're just talking like this nonstop. And, and they're moving their hand as well, mind you. Like, look, I haven't gotten my piece, but are you really moving your steering wheel that much on a straight lane? Like that's other bullshit. I mean, it is really that easy to master driving and yet they still fuck up. Every actor still fucks up there. That's insane. I mean, like not all of these cars are auto drivable Teslas. They, they don't belong to George Clooney or Paul. Rudd. They're not driving. They're driving a Toyota. They're driving a Hyundai's. Maybe not in America. I don't know what your Toyota Hyundai is. Maybe it is. I actually don't know anything about cars, but if that's the case, what, why are they doing that? You know, it, it's a trope that doesn't make sense and it just continues to baffle me. The second one, horror films in the dark. Don't make it so damn dark. Can I, can I just see what you want me to see? I recently just saw this film called Barbarian. Again, I reviewed it to check out Cushy K. Again, this 10, 15 minutes, just a shameless plug for my Instagram. Um, Barbarian has an excellent use of like a lighting. You can actually see it, even though it's in the dark. Most of the films in the basement. Oh my God, all those conjurings, you're all your insidious, your nuns, your priests, your, and I'm, I'm just, I'm not just speaking about pedophilia jokes here. I'm talking about those stupid films. You can't see anything. It's just pure darkness. And I don't know why. Do you, do you want me to be scared? Do you want me to enjoy it? Then add a bit of lighting to it. Well, better yet, why don't we make a horror film in the daylight? Why don't we just do jump scares in the daylight? Like everything is just, it's just pure sun. 
just beating down on you. Characters are sweating, but there are jump scares. Like, imagine, imagine that that Annabelle doll, but all in daylight. Come on, a good director could do it. I'm speaking to you, Hollywood. Make some magic about that. The next one, the yellow filter in Mexico. <laughs> I uh, I was recently watching some clips of Breaking Bad, and every time they go to Mexico, all they do is they add a yellow filter, and it's like you're in Mexico. Look, I, I love Breaking Bad, but oh my god, the way they use that was ridiculous. They decided that uh, Mexico was going to be this filter of high dosages of turmeric. And they thought, yeah, yeah, that works out. Um, I can't say it's true, but I have heard from someone that the moment they walked into Mexico City, their vision actually turned yellow. So, hey, uh, maybe Hollywood's right about that. Um, speaking of color filters real quickly, the gray blue one is actually right uh, for Europe because Europe is fucking depressing. So the gray filter, yeah, that makes sense. Um, another one that I was thinking about recently, unrealistic exposition. Oh my God. This is something that always comes to me from time to time. When you're watching these big budget films, your Marvels, your star Wars, or just some stupid rom-coms, just when characters tell us things quickly for no reason, it's like, Hey, look, yeah. You know, people call me Mary, but you know, it's after my mother, Maria, you know, she died of cancer. And look, I know you haven't dated since mom died, but you need to fix that uh, depression. It's like, okay, does anyone really speak like that? It's unrealistic. Why doesn't anyone just speak normally? Why doesn't anyone speak like sin? You know, throw incredible amount of slurs at someone. That's exactly how we talk Hollywood. Get that right. Next one. Uh, and this is more so about like stunt work, I think, but actually this is not even something that movies do often that, uh, that they don't get right. It's more just Tom Cruise spiel. Um, look, again, I have to remind you, this is just 15 minutes of me talking, so I may have already lost my thematic concern that I told you about. But Tom Cruise must have his own insurance, right? Like it, every producer, every production company that signs a must must have like a contingency plan or maybe it's even in the script. Like we have to film two endings, one where Tom Cruise survives, one where Tom Cruise dies. Maybe that's when the mission will finally become possible with his death. Maybe Scientology goes along with it as well. If that's the case, um, maybe let that contingency plan come true. I'm not going to say Tom Cruise, keep making the film as Top Gun Maverick. Beautiful. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, okay, this is one. I'm going to go back now onto the things and movies and TV shows um, doing completely incorrectly. You know when they switch the, the, the TV remote and then the TV lights up and it's on the perfect news channel and it's talking about that FBI raid that the character just partook in, like that exact moment when they're also eating breakfast so the husband can also see and then note the sus expressions on the, the main character's face. Yeah, that, that scene. Dude, <laughs> when has there ever been a moment in your life where you turned on the TV and it was on the right channel? Don't you have to go through HDMI 1? Don't you have to go through your sources, change your picture settings from time to time? Sometimes it doesn't even work. You have to restart your TV. Can we can we get that right? Like spend at least 20 seconds trying to set up the TV, please. That's that's really me talking about uh, what they do, what movies and TV shows do that are completely incorrect. Can they? I want them to get that right. Uh, this was something I was thinking about recently with um, Black Adam's release, but how do you know when a movie's going to be bad so you don't waste two hours sitting in a, a dingy cinema um, thinking, oh my God, I am now getting closer to the sweet release of death. How do you know that you are not wasting your time? And I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of options because I want to help you out. Like I say, I do review my movies and TV shows and I know what's up. Uh, check me out at Kushi K on uh, Instagram. I will yet again plug it. Um, anytime an ad goes from the producer of such and such, be cautious. I wouldn't say it's an immediate red flag. But uh, be cautious because it's like, well, you don't have a selling point. None of your actors are selling points. None of your directors, none of your writers are selling points. But it's the producer, the guy who funded the film, like that's your selling point. 
And I also wonder what's next from the brother of your wife's mother's cousin's um, sister-in-law's production company um, that's actually bankrupt and they made a new production company. That's that's who's funding the film. Um, that's that maybe that's what's next. Who knows? Um, the other one's critics the, where they. And look, I know this is pretty decisive. A lot of people have their feelings about Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, you know, audience score, blah, blah, blah. But if they don't receive an advanced screening, it means uh, one of two things. Uh, either that um, they might want to keep spoilers on a down low because they want everyone to experience it at the same time or they're recovering from the opening weekend. They want people to go there, do the, do the Thursday to Sunday magic they get their most amount of money and then they go to sleep thinking, oh, hopefully we broke even. So be cautious. Again, I'm looking at you, Black Adam. That's exactly what happened. Um, if you have James Corden, red flag. Um, another one is if the thought of it seems like a bad idea. You know, if someone's sitting or you're just looking at the movie, you're reading the synopsis, the log line, and you're thinking people sat down and they said, let's make a movie about emoji emojis that's not from Pixar. That's probably a bad sign. Um, look, I, I hope I gave you guys some tips um, with my um, unrealistic stream of thought here about maybe you want to watch a good movie. Know those tips. Maybe you're watching a movie and you're like, oh, Kush did tell me about um, all these things that movies don't do right. Maybe that hits you in your mind. You're like, damn, I'm not enjoying this. I hope... You know, I hope I made your watching experience less enjoyable with what I've told you. Um, and if you want to know some movies to watch, maybe check out my Instagram. I know, again, I know, Cookie K, please, but do check it out. Um, now I'm going to move on to something different. I um, thought, hey, why not? You guys know about me watching movies, TV shows. You know that I, I like to dabble in screenwriting from time to time. I'm going to read a three-page script that I wrote just to end off my 15-minute spiel. So here we go. We're in a closet. We're in a bedroom and it's nighttime. It's a dark space, two eyes peering through the slightest of openings in a closet. Inside is Mason. He looks to be around 10 years old. He's hugging his teddy bear tightly. There are shouts downstairs, a male and a woman. The creaking of the door invades the silence. Mason inhales, his eyes wide. Nothing. Then the closet door is thrown open, Mason falling into the arms of an older, stronger boy, Jackson. Jackson has bruises on his arms, his cheeks, and even slight cuts across his forearm. Jackson says, we have to go now. He's here. Jackson gently places Mason's teddy in his arms, gesturing for his younger brother to hold onto it tightly. Bang! A woman screams, and then silence. Mason gasps, retreating towards the closet. Finger up to his mouth, Jackson motions for Mason to creep towards the door. The brothers have to leave, that's obvious. Gently and slowly, Jackson turns the handle. We're now inside the hallway of the house. It's still nighttime. Mason and Jackson slither their way to the stairs. They both peer down. A woman's body is on the ground, the legs visible. There's a large growl as the body slides away, a trail of blood following its wake. Jackson stifles Mason's screams. The teddy bear hold onto her tightly again. Slowly, stair by stair, the brothers head down. We're now at the entrance of the house. Jackson motions for Mason to stay put. He tries the front door, but it's locked. He tries again, this time louder. Scrunching his teeth, Jackson tries another time. Mason grabs at Jackson's arm, trying his best to get his brother's attention, but he's not listening. He's trying to open the door. Jackson waves, his arm off, waves him off, his mind racing. Mason says, it's him, the lake monster. 
A growl alerts Mason, the sound of squelchy footsteps getting closer and closer. The brothers turn around, their eyes focused on what looks like a man, oozing liquid, its eyes red, arms outstretched. No, this is no man. This is the lake monster, and in one hand, he's holding a bottle. It drops. The brothers jolt into action as Jackson grabs hold of Mason's head, pushing him away into the living room. It's just a compact area, just surrounded by a few sofas. Where do they have to go? But with haste, Jackson slides the door across, his chest heaving. Bang! Bang! The door rattles. Ever so slowly, the door slides open with Jackson and Mason backing away. The lake monster stumbles and trips, slurring something incoherently. The brothers break into a run. They're in the kitchen. Jackson heaves himself at the back door. It doesn't budge. He tries once more. Mason turns around, his eyes focused on the ground, water seeping into the kitchen. He turns around to get Jackson's attention, but there's a squelching noise. Mason whips his head around only to see an arm grab hold of him, taking him away from Jackson. Jackson shouts out, Mason! With speed, Jackson thrashes his way over to Mason, sliding a chair across the lake monster. It responds with a loud howl. Jackson grabs hold of Mason, sprinting to the door. The brothers look at each other. Jackson says, together. The brothers hurl themselves at the door. It crashes open when Mason's stumbling at first. They're there. They can see it, the moon. They're heading out. But before Jackson can even put a foot outside, the lake monster grabs hold of him. The brothers share a look. Jackson mouths one single word, go, as he's taken back by the lake monster. Then the door closes on Jackson. So he hears a scream, a loud thud, and then silence. With a whimper, Mason begins sprinting. He doesn't look back, his chest heaving, breaths coming down harsh. He's passing trees, long hedges, and eventually, to his right, he sprints past a small lake. The end. I hope you enjoy that. That was my little uh, quota for meeting the Halloween uh, segment that we're releasing. Um, We don't have any decorations, but I thought I'd regale you with a Halloween tale that is written... I thought I'd regale you with a Halloween tale that was written by myself. So again, hope you enjoyed that uh, spiel that I said. Um, if you wanted more of this, let us know because I have no idea how this went, how this did. Um, it's just me talking. So yeah, good luck for the next few. Alrighty, welcome to Sen's Corner. Um, doing something a bit different this week, as you would have realized. We're doing a bit of, bit of solos a POV, usually got to pay for this kind of stuff, but you guys are getting it for free. Um, I was going to say, it was, I was looking forward to it, but now I'm sitting here flushed looking at the camera. This is kind of daunting, I'm not going to lie. Um, and the, the pressure's on with the boys. I'm going to go behind the curtain here and reveal, you know, the dark inner secrets of the podcast. But you would have heard Miguel first, but Kush actually recorded his version first and we were all sitting outside sort of like a reception of a doctor's waiting room as you're all sitting waiting to hear the results of your blood test or whatever. There's a lot of tension outside. I've gone second. We'll see who comes after me. I'm not sure. Um, but we'll begin. Uh, I've got some sort of structure to this. I've got three three things that I want to talk about that have just been burning me. Nah, not really burning me inside, but three things I want to talk about. I don't know if it's going to be funny or interesting. It's just really just to get off my chest, really. I have a lot of respect to people who do um, solo podcasts. I listen to a couple of them and I don't know how they do it. It's literally just me in an empty room right now, staring at a camera with a, with a microphone. Um, if you're not from Australia, you may not know this, but a couple of weeks ago, one of the big telcos here in Australia, Optus, had a massive data breach um, and they lost like millions of people's uh, customers' uh, details. Like literally there were people in this data breach who 
died five years ago and their data was leaked to literally anyone. And they came out and called it a hack, but really to call it a hack is fucking, it, it literally wasn't a hack. It's like if I left my front door open and robbers came in and stole everything. Like there was no security. Apparently it was, I'm going to use some IT lingo here. It was a API open source. Who knows what any of this shit means, but essentially it was very easy for someone to steal all this data. And so this came out and they were sending out emails to people who were um, affected by it. And so obviously I'm an idiot and I've signed up for Optusport. And so I got an email saying that my data was part of this uh, data leak. So I'm like, oh, great. Another thing to look forward to in my life, another worry in my life. And so anyway, I didn't really do much of it. Like I probably should have, but I didn't really do much of it. And then a couple of days later, I get an email saying that I'd been signed up to another number with Vodafone which is another carrier here in Australia. And I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. This, this sounds like this is going to take up a lot of time in my life. And, and I, I hark back to when Rohit had his identity stolen and I still don't know if he's actually figured out what happened there or if he's actually finished that off. So, so I called up Vodafone and full disclosure, I did, uh, I did work for them a few years ago and they did. So I had a normal personal number with them and a work number. So I'd moved my personal number away to another carrier and they still had my work number there. And basically what had happened was my work number, which was currently on like a, just like a free, um, like literally I was paying $0 a month. It was still connected. I could have used it. I lost a SIM card about three years ago. So it was still working, but I was paying nothing for it. And essentially for some reason, that number had been upgraded to an $80 plan. And so I'm like, well, hang on. I didn't fucking do that. So I gave him a call. And I was, I was full gearing up for war and I'm like, all right, this is it. I'm going to, this is my chance to be a Karen. I can swing at them, you know, swing, swing for the fences here. But they were actually quite helpful and they, they, they canceled that immediately. So I'm like, all right, cool. Problem solved. Easy. Done. A day later, I then get another email from Vodafone saying I have a bill for $80. I didn't even use the fucking number that they gave me, right? It was active for a day and they charged me 80 bucks. And I'm like, all right, well, here we go. Now I get a chance to be a Karen. So I call them up on a Monday. Should have been working at this time, mind you. And I get put through to their call center in India. And I start yarning with the bloke. And then we get talking for 40 minutes. I get put on hold for a bit. I think it comes to about an hour. I'm still talking with the bloke. I get transferred to three different people. Eventually I'm talking with one bloke who's a part of the cancellations team. I'm like, all right, here we go. Like... Jagnish, mate, you're going to help me here. You're a legend. I'm literally explaining the story to him and he hangs up on me. Are you fucking kidding me? So I've wasted dead set an hour of my life on a Monday morning trying to get this sorted, trying to get this debt cleared from my name and this brother's just hung up on me. So I'm like, all right, well, what can I do? So I'm like, am I going to spend another hour of my life doing this or is my hour worth more than $80 and do I just pay up the 80 bucks? And so I, I, I sat in it for a day and I thought about it, but then I just kept looking at the invoice and I kept seeing $80 due and I just kept circling in my head. So the next day I called up and this time I, I came in looking to pick a fight and straight from the get go, I have to say, I'm going to come clean here. I was very aggressive from the start and maybe mildly racial, who knows? Um, and to be honest, this person who picked up the next day was actually such a nice person. They probably didn't deserve any of what I gave them, but literally within 10 minutes, credited me the $80, said, don't worry about it, mate. You owe us nothing. Canceled the number. I'm done with Vodafone. Beautiful days. But 
just as goes to show that if you want to get something done, you actually need to abuse people in this life. Like you can't be a nice person and get things done and get away with it. Like you legit need to throw some slurs and abuse people both verbally, physically. I don't know. Maybe I'm taking the wrong message away from this. But speaking of incompetent people, I do want to speak about another uh, thing that's happening in the world right now. And I want to talk about the UK. I want to talk about Liz Truss in, uh, in particular. So if you've been living under a rock, Liz Truss was the former prime minister of the UK. So there was Bojo before. So Boris Johnson was the prime minister and then he stood down and then they went through two months of like a, a prime ministerial debating and whatnot to try and figure out who the next leader was. And the, the, the two people were Liz Truss and a bloke called Rishi Sunak, like an Indian bloke. And Liz Truss essentially did the thing that what kids do when they're running for like SRC or for our Yanks, like um, when they're running for class president, she essentially promised the world. She's like, you know, we'll have our water founders, we'll have Coca-Cola in it. You know, we'll have every Friday, we'll have a free day off, blah, blah, blah. She basically promised every single thing under the sun and they all voted for her and she became prime minister. So that was in early September. So I think in one of her first days, she goes to see the queen to make it official, blah, blah, blah. So she sees the, the queen next day, the queen drops dead. <laughs> and so she was in office for 45 days. She stood down last week, 45 days of which 10 of those days were taken because of all that queen nonsense. So she literally was in a job for 30 days, 30 days. Um, and a, another reason why people didn't trust her was there's literally, you can find this interview from her when she was a kid. Like she was anti Royal anti monarchist blah, blah, blah. She was literally throwing death threats at Queen Elizabeth and Prince Charles or whatever. And then suddenly she changed her tune and she was, you know, all monarchist, blah, blah, blah. So again, massive red flag to begin with. But anyway, she was in, in charge for 45 days. She, and in that time, she absolutely tanked the economy, lost all trust from her MPs. And so she stood down. And so, you know, firstly, incredibly incompetent, but also quite impressive really that she did that much damage in, sh in such a short amount of time. But not only that, and this is what gets me like, so like the Optus thing, no one lost their job over the Optus data hack. And so this woman somehow got herself into the prime minister ministerial role, you know, fucked around for about a month, lost her job. And now she's able to claim a public allowance, like a pension essentially for being a prime minister. And she can get 115,000 pounds a year. Basically a gentleman's 200,000 AUD per year for the rest of her life for doing something for 30 months or for 30 days. Unreal, actually unreal. And the funniest thing I saw was there was a, there was a, you know, all the newspapers were against her, you know, absolutely ripping into her over these like 40 days. You know, this is one of the worst prime ministers we've ever seen, incompetent, blah, blah, blah. And someone quipped in one of the newspapers saying that she had the shelf life of a lettuce that you can buy off Tesco's. And so one of the newspapers actually set up a live webcam of just a piece of lettuce and saying, will this lettuce outlast Liz Trust? And it was day seven, will Liz Trust outlast this lettuce to the lettuce has outlasted Liz Trust. And there was a lot of like articles and headlines saying, let us rejoice, let us be having you, lettuce for PM, <laughs> lettuce one, trust nil, trust sunk by an iceberg. <laughs> it's quality stuff. And yeah, so it, it honestly just baffles me how someone can fail so hard at a job and get rewarded so nicely for the rest of her life. That's like 40, 40 odd years where she's going to get 150, 
15,000 pounds every single year in perpetuity. You'll take that. For what? For And she literally almost destroyed the economy. It's unreal. Actually unreal. Um, one more thing before I go. So I know there's been a bit of doom and gloom and I've been ranting about random things, but I want to I shout out someone as well. I want to actually talk about a positive story for once. Another Australian-centric story. This one is about a man called Ned Brockman who did something that I didn't even think was possible. Um, so essentially this guy ran 4,000 kilometers from Western Australia all the way to Sydney. So from east to west, of, sorry, from west to east of Sydney. 4,000 kilometers. I've never done 4,000 of anything, let alone 4,000 kilometers running on his feet. He ran for 46 days straight. So again, he lasted longer than Liz Trust as well. And the reason he did it was to raise money for charity. So he raised $1.85 million. Mind you, I did not, um, I didn't donate. I actually didn't know he was doing this until a couple of days ago when he finished it. But $1.85 million for homelessness, which is insane. And his whole, his whole mantra was, get comfortable being uncomfortable. That was his whole, you know, and insane, actually insane. I've never heard of anyone doing this. So he ran literally across Australia, raised $1 million. He lost 11 kilos over it. And there was like, I remember seeing on TikTok and Instagram, people like seeing him running on the highway, like honking their horn, like stopping and watching him run by, like genuinely insane. So I'll say hats off to you, Ned. That's incredible achievement. All right, boys, welcome back to another episode sponsored by Manscaped. Now, I've been thinking, now we've been telling our listeners to really buy Manscaped products through the website using our code TCB. But, you know, every week, all I can think about, are our listeners sick of hearing that day in and day out? Because I know you listen to these segments daily, especially the Manscaped segment, sometimes twice or thrice daily. So I understand that you might get sick of it. So Manscaped has actually emailed us with some good news they are taking it over Australia, as you know, but this time they're taking it one step further, as of course it is the holiday season, so their products, these hygiene products, these life-changing hygiene products are now available in all of Woolworths Australia's retail stores. So you might be there buying some oranges, some apples, some sourdough bread, some sweet potato, maybe some toilet paper, and now you're thinking, what about the men's grooming? Well, fret not, ladies and gentlemen, because Manscaped is there. So swing on over onto your local Woolworths and buy some Manscaped products. Their signature lawnmower, of course, the most brilliant ball trimmer to bless the motherland. I mean, just think about shaving with a sleek, well-designed and optimized trimmer that makes shaving your favorite time in the bathroom. So go on over there to Woolworths, check it out and buy some products. Of course, don't forget that you can also hop onto manscaped.com and you can get 20% off with free shipping by using the code TCB. Alrighty, boys, welcome back to Critical Banter. This is the Rohit edition of the solo episode. On today's episode, we're doing a couple of things. We're doing the log. The segment is our etiquette segment, Mind Your Manners. And we're playing a game called the quiz, where I basically do a palm reading quiz and see, you know, if they can read my future um, with, you know, on the screen. So we'll see how that goes. But I want to bring something up because this week something interesting happened to me today. I was walking down the road. I was going to buy um, some food from the shops. And then turns out there was a homeless guy sitting outside. uh, And he asked, hey, can you buy me some, can you actually give me some money? And I was like, oh yeah, like if I had cash, I would give you some money. But unfortunately I don't. Do you need any groceries? 
And the problem is, you know, if you want to groceries, I'd be like, no dramas at all. I'll, you know, buy you a bite to eat. Let's see what you want. But turns out he was like, actually, can you buy me some cigarettes? And I was like, look, um, I don't have any cash and I don't really want to go into the the uh, tobacco shop and buy you a pack of darts. It costs like $45. Like, look, I'm a generous guy. But if you, you know, ask me for $45 to buy cigarettes, you know, maybe I'm not going to take that. And he's like, no, no, it's all good. You can actually buy single cigarettes at this place. And I was like, mate, absolutely play on. Look, I'm, you know, got to do a, you pay a debt here. I can't just leave this guy hanging. He's got a nicotine addiction to face. So I walk into the shop, not really believing this guy because it's actually technically illegal um, for you to buy single cigarettes, right? So I walk into the shop. I'm like, hey, to the, the, the shopkeeper, I'm like, hey, can I just get a single dart? And lo and behold, you know, to my absolute amazement, he basically is like, yep, we sell single single darts. That's $2. I was like, happy days, right? So I got to tap my card. Then I see the surcharge. The surcharge is $3. Now, why is the surcharge more than the cigarette? And he's like, yeah, under $5 transactions. Apparently, he made up this spiel about how, you know, the, the merchant that he uses charges all these extra fees. And so here I am in a little bit of a moral dilemma, right? because I have to buy this. I've already told this guy, yeah, I'm going to buy him a cigarette. Um, but now I'm, you know, paying $5 for a single cigarette. May as well buy him a vape, which is basically how much it costs. Anyways, I tap the card. I'm like, all right, you know what? I'll, I'll help this guy out. So I give this guy um, a cigarette and then lo and behold, what do I see? He puts it into his like empty deck and inside the deck is basically a full set of cigarettes. So this guy is a little bit of a con artist because what happens is he actually asks people um, to go inside and buy him single cigarettes and he's got an empty, you know, cigarette case and he just pops them in. So here I am thinking like, you know, here we go. I've been scammed. So I'm walking back the next day. I come back and I see the same guy and he hasn't recognized me. He's like, Hey man, can I buy a cigarette? And this time I actually do have cash. So I'm like, look, here's two bucks. Buy it yourself. I know what you're doing. You know, I'm happy to help you out here, but at the moment, like what you're doing is actually insane. And so basically, you know, this man is getting away with a bit of a scam. Props to him. Fair play. You know, $2 cigarettes if you want around Oxford Street, TSG. That's where you go. Um, but the homeless guy is pulling out a scam. And honestly, I've got to respect him for it. I was a man of a, who was a scam myself. Like, play on. He's doing well. Alrighty, boys. Um, today's Mind Your Manners. This is the etiquette segment. I've got a little bit of a dilemma that I want to chat to you about. And just see what people have to think, right? I'm going to spell out my thoughts. I'm going to figure out what we got to do here. Basically, just speak openly about what just happened to me. Because at work, my previous work, I was in charge of managing some interns. And so, you know, as an intern myself, I literally interned at a place. I rocked up the first day. I was on time. You know, I was tidy. I was respectful. I asked good questions, that sort of thing. But what happened with this person is I actually went to... um, you know, I had like the one-on-one schedule in the calendar and, and because it was COVID at the time, basically it was all online. And so she jumps on the call and we're having a chat. I'm like, Hey, this is what you're going to be doing. These are kind of your roles and responsibilities. And so it's important to kind of listen up here because essentially I'm telling you what your job is. Now, what she did is halfway through my sentence, she starts vaping and I'm like, okay, well, this is, I understand that this episode has a little bit of a, you know, tobacco theme, but I'm like, okay, what's going on here? This is actually bizarre. So what happened is she just pulled out the vape, started puffing. And now I know you're not really in the, um, you know, we're not in person. So it's fine. You're actually just at home because you're behind a screen. And I was like, this is, is like, should you be doing this? Because obviously I don't really care. 
right? But turns out this person had been vaping in all the meetings with all the managers. And so I'm sitting here thinking like, this cannot be, you know, a normal thing to do. This is actually bizarre. And so she said, you know what? It's all good. I brought it up with her. I was like, hey, maybe you should stop vaping. And she was like, oh, you know, I would, but I have a little bit of a nicotine addiction. And I was like, look, I understand, right? But you're at a workplace. Like you can't be doing this. And she's like, oh, you know, it is what it is. Like I'm, I'm more than happy, you know, to stop doing it. But like, can I just turn off my camera and do it? And I was like, look, if that's the best you can do, like, yes, you can turn off the camera. Like that's fine. But like, it's not a good idea to um, vape in front of the managers. So I give her this advice um, and then, you know, time goes on. And as she's getting to the end of her intern stage, um, basically what I need to do is decide like, should she get the job or not? Now that's not silly on me. My manager comes up to me and is like, hey, what do you think of, you know, let's call her Jane. What do you think of Jane? How, how did she go? And I was like, yeah, like I actually think she was quite a good candidate. So I was speaking pretty honestly and openly about um, how she performed at the actual job. And she was fine. Like she did a good job. Can't complain. She's an intern, right? No experience, whatever. And the manager was like, look, she is a good person, but the problem is she keeps vaping on screen. She keeps turning off her camera and not attending meetings. When she does the work, she's good, but should we hire her or not? And I'm like, look, this is really out of my pay grade. Like you can hire, it's your team. Like you manage them. And I was like, all right, look, not up to me. But I didn't want to, you know, what do I do here? Like, do I, like, I don't care really that much whether she gets hired or not. But the manager asked me, like, have you seen her vaping at all in your meetings? Because she's doing it in the management meetings with with her one-on-ones. And so at this point I was in a bit of a dilemma. I was like, mm, like she's doing it. Um, the manager didn't like actually, she didn't know that I knew she was vaping. She was wondering whether it was like a one-time thing in, in her meetings and she asked me point blank. She's like, does she do it in your meetings? Because if so, unfortunately, you know, we might have to let her go. So I'm sitting there like, mm, okay, this is a bit of a dilemma. You know what? I will just be honest because like, obviously honesty is the best policy. I was like, yeah, yeah, she's doing it. Anyway, she didn't get the job. Um, so I feel like a little bit of a bad person because what I did was basically, you know, shaft her from getting a full-time job at the actual place that I used to work at. Hey, you just got to tell me, you know, message me at Robro1 on Instagram, did I do the right thing? Because I think I did, but you know, you never know. Like, could I have been a good person to this? You know, she did tell me about the fact that she was, um, you know, needing money because she was working, you know, at the retail and she wanted to get out of it and she had to do uni and a full-time job and blah, blah, blah. So I didn't give her the job because my manager asked me and I was open about it. But you know, there's a little bit of a bad taste. Maybe I did the right thing, but in saying that, like, you still feel bad when you when you hurt a person that way. Alrighty, boys. Final segment. Um, I'm doing a palm reading. So I've never actually done a palm reading. I don't actually believe in any of this nonsense. But I am curious because usually palm readings are done in person. However, this one is like, you know what? We actually read your palm online. So I'm going to do the palm reading test and see how it goes. So just a very bit of context, right? They, they give you a little FAQ section, which is delightful. What do the palm lines mean? Apparently there are six lines on our palm and each of them have their own important meaning. Take the quiz to help you be more aware of your character. It'll help you choose your path. Apparently there's a lifeline, the headline, the heart line. There's a fate line, the health line and the sun line. What? I actually have no idea 
I have no idea what that is. All right. Question one, choose the form of hand most similar to yours. A, the palm is much longer than fingers. B, square palm. The fingers are equal or longer than the palm. C, fingers are equal or longer than the palm, including the palm, but it's covered with big amount of lines. So apparently, okay, so there's just a photo of a really wrinkly palm. D, wide square palm, strong fingers, not many <laughs> lines on the palm. E, oval hand. <laughs> okay. So I'm having a look at my hand now, right? And so I think my palm is probably equal to or less than the actual, sorry, the fingers are equal to or long, longer than the palm or shorter than the palm, I should say. So I've got to figure out now whether my fingers are strong because apparently it's either D, right? Or B, the square palm, because they're both square. So I'm going to choose, do I have a wide square palm? I'm going to say, I'm going to go B, square palm, the fingers are equal or longer than the palm. Moving on to the next question. Question two, choose the proportion between the index finger and ring finger. Okay, this is a quick one. So is it index finger longer than the ring finger? B, is the ring finger longer than the index finger or C, are they equal? So my ring finger is definitely longer than the index finger. Next question. Take a look at your middle finger. What side is it curved more? Is it curved? Mine's pretty straight, man. Like A, is it curved to the index finger? B, to the ring finger? Middle finger is absolutely straight. Is C, that is me. I am as straight as an arrow. Question four. Okay, ease your hand and look at the location of the little finger. What photo is the closest to you? A, little finger is separated from the rest of the fingers. B, Little finger is firmly against or even overcomes the ring finger. All right, let me have a look at this and see. No, okay, look, mine is mine is definitely separated. That's A for sure. Moving on. Form of thumb is rather similar too. So again, two photos. <laughs> the first photo literally looks like the thumb is a toe, like your big toe. And the second one is your thumb looks like a normal thumb, like it's regular shaped. That's B for sure. Question six, um, any of the fingers framed with the ring as shown? Oh, okay. So by the ring, there's a photo of a hand and basically there is a wrinkle on the bottom of the finger where your palm connects to your finger. And do you actually have a curved wrinkle on any of them? So have a look at your, your fingers and the last wrinkle on your finger. Mine are pretty straight. I don't have I don't have a ring. I don't have a little curve or an oval. All right, here's what we want to go. Question seven. All right, so I'm going to have to find the lifeline in your palm. So the lifeline on my palm is the third longest wrinkle. And how would it be described? Is it long and wave-like? A. B, is it long and distinct, short and distinct, long and indistinct? Okay. All right. I'm thinking is actually short and distinct. I hope that means I'm not, I hope that means I'm not going to have, I have a longer life because it feels like that's going to let me go. Um, okay. All right. Question eight. Um, I want to choose the most similar direction of the lifeline. So I'm supposed to have a wrinkle on my finger that goes from my thumb on the right hand down to my wrist. And so I would say it is pretty 
straight and not curved at all. Question nine, are there any interruptions to the lifeline? Thankfully, there are no interruptions. It looks like we're going straight along, which I imagine means it's good. Now it's like, where does the lifeline start? All right. So I think I'm looking at my palm now. And again, it's on your right hand. The lifeline attaches to another wrinkle, which is called the headline. And I think it is joined with the headline. We go B. Now I find the headline on the palm. Refer to the picture, choose the most similar option. So the headline is the one that's like kind of in the middle of your palm. It's like the one that just goes directly across. And I'm having a look now and my headline is pretty long. Like it basically goes from one side of the palm to the other in like a curved direction. So I'm going to say it's A. I understand this is quite difficult to see, but I'm kind of curious to know like what it actually looks like, what my palm um, actually says about me and my life. Now we look at the heart line. Okay, so question 12 says, find your heart line on the palm. Referring to the picture, choose the most similar option. So apparently the heart line is the wrinkle that is just underneath where your finger connects to the palm. So I think you have three wrinkles. The top one, that is your heart line. And it basically says, what does it look like? And so three options here have it, you know, kind of like a half semicircle or just a straight line. And if I'm being honest, mine does curve from the index finger to the end of the palm. And that's the second option. And here we go. Oh, there's a line of fortune, not to be confused with the wheel of fortune on your palm. And I've got to choose the one that it looks like. And I actually have no fortune. I literally have no fortune. So it's on the left hand apparently. And it's like, where does your fortune line lie? I literally have no line of fortune, which is not an option on the quiz. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I don't even know. There's like, there's like things here, like the line of fortune starts, you know, from the moon hill, which is something I've never even heard about before, but we'll say a single line of fortune that starts from the lifeline. All right. We move to question 15. Do you have the travel lines? So apparently a travel line is basically looks like someone scratched you in your palm. Do I have that? I don't have that. I'm going to say, no, I do not have any scratches. And then question 16, are there any such lines in your hand? And it looks like there are just some wrinkles that appear somewhere on the top and bottom. I'm going to say, no, I don't have that. All right, here we go. Here's what we want to see. You have the acute mind. You are smart. Your main drawback in brackets, or maybe an advantage is the aspiration to manipulate other people. What? <laughs> you have the perfect self-motivation abilities and infect others with your own example. This is some really weird, like, grammar. It, it, it reads very wrong. You are subconsciously predisposed to the leadership and the acknowledgement of others is very important to you. Your character is very multi-sided. I am a Gemini. Dual. Sometimes you may be quick-tempered, sometimes absolutely phlegmatic. I don't even know what that means. You avoid direct confrontation. Apparently I'm open and sensitive. I'm predisposed to the desiring things. I make a good judge. It says seemingly you don't care about your body at all. What? <laughs> all right. This is, this is bizarre, man. Um, okay. I apparently I combine the idealism in love and the sensibilities of modern relationships. The idealis, uh, idealism in love and then the realism of balance, whatever that means. Okay. Okay, the ending, the, the last ending is apparently some of your amorous adventures will end scandalously, 
scandalously and you will be the initiator. Now, I think what's happened is these guys are just basically sprayed and prayed. Like, yep, some of those are right. Like, let's be real. It's a bit of a joke. I have a cute mind. I'll take it. I'm smart. You know, I'll take that. But I like to avoid direct confrontation. Look, some of these are right. Some of these are wrong. Um, I feel like they've just scattered like a bunch of different, you know, answers there and t- just to see what actually, you know, people would choose. But it is what it is. I'll end it here. Thank you very much. You know, see you next week. Subscribe, like, and all that. Sen usually does his part, so I've got no idea what I'm talking about. You know, five stars and up a podcast. You know, as always, sponsored by Manscaped, blah, blah, blah. You know the drill. Thank you for listening.